Hello, thank you for tuning in. My name is Nella, and welcome to my podcast, Ethereality. A quick background on me, I have been interviewing people about their near-death experiences on The Other Side NDE for the last two years now. I honestly couldn't think of a better use of my time, so NDEs will be a hot topic on this podcast, but I want to talk about other things too, so I created a space where we can talk about all things metaphysical, spiritual, scientific, or likely a combination of all of those. Joining us today is Brianna Lafferty. Brianna has shared her near-death experience before, but this conversation is somewhat exclusive. Most people don't want to talk about the darker side of the other side, but that's exactly what we're going to do today. Thank you so much, Brianna, for being here. Thank you for having me. So I'm really excited to hear your near-death experience story and then chat a little bit about the certain nuances that you experienced. So go ahead and, and start by sharing your story. So my story started back when I was 10 years old. When I was 10, I came down with a rare chronic illness and it was undiagnosed for another eight years. This illness included a lot of pain, a lot of muscle disorder movements. Um, so a lot of twitching, a lot of muscle rigidity, a lot of pain, and going through a rare illness that is undiagnosed on top of puberty, especially puberty as a woman, it was just very chaotic. I felt a lot of fatigue and I was not really hopeful. I was very confused. I had a church family, but they weren't really helpful either. They're just like, we'll pray for you. And that was it. Well, that doesn't always help in real life and didn't give me hope, didn't raise my energy levels at all. I felt very alone and very isolated. So for the next five, eight years, I just, I became more and more fatigued and more and more in pain, more and more isolated. And around the same time, I started seeing ghosts, which for the most part, they were pretty friendly at first. They didn't pay me any attention really. And I didn't pay them much attention. I didn't feel a lot of fear towards them. It was just like, oh, that's an interesting phenomenon. And so I saw a bunch of different types of these scenarios. Um, I remember a few guys playing poker and table. It looked like a old 18, late 1800 style bar or kind of that setting. However, things did take a turn for the scary. I started seeing what I would not call ghosts, but I would see entities. And the most prevalent one, I didn't realize, but he was a shadow that would cross behind the wall with a top hat and a cape. And I would always see him in the basement. Uh, sometimes I would see him in reflections first before I'd see him on the wall. Sometimes I just see him passing in walls. I just got this weird, scared, sinking feeling. It was very different than the ghost I saw. And turns out my sister and her friends also saw the same entity. They told my mom and each other, but my sister and I never communicated that we had seen this entity till much, much later down the road, I think another decade or two. And after writing my first book and doing research into this entity, it turns out he is a well-known dark entity around the world that shows up to children in their basements. 
So that was, I mean, I saw pictures of him drawn out online. So I was not the only one and girls from my church saw it. I had a sleepover. Half of them saw it, the pass on the reflection of our entertainment center. It was really scary. That's how it started. Things got much worse. I started having horrific nightmares and I became an extreme insomniac and maybe get an hour of sleep a night as a, as a young child going through a chronic illness and puberty. It was, it was very rough. So I started getting these horrific nightmares and my illness progressed. I became even more isolated and I just felt very helpless and alone. I finally got a diagnosis at 18, but with the diagnosis of myoclonus dystonia, we had already tried all the medication that there was and the doctors kind of said, you're on your own. So I continued to be on my own. I experimented with some self-medication and I also started experiencing more paranormal experiences in my home. I started seeing worse and worse entities, got more and more fearful, and I started astro traveling involuntarily. A lot of people tried to astro travel, but I didn't even know what it was. And it was always involuntary and always terrifying. I felt like I was chased by these hor- horrible creatures in all these other dimensions and on Earth. And I just, I felt like I was constantly under attack. So come to when I was 26, we had tried all sorts of stuff for my illness and I had no relief really. And my mom had read about spirit release therapy. And at this point we tried Chinese medicine, Western medicine, traditional medicine, Reiki, hypnosis, mindfulness, acupuncture, chiropractic, you name it. Basically we tried it. So what was trying this one more thing? So we got hooked up with a spirit release therapist and she warned, you know, you can get pretty sick in the process or she, she didn't say pretty sick. You just, she just said ill, some nausea, vomiting kind of stuff. I'm like, all right, well, that's not the worst that's, that's happened. So let's try it. And as she is trying to release these entities that I believe have been attached to me since I was 10, I got sicker and sicker. Um, another reason we thought I might be attached is because we found out a child in the house before we lived there had played with an Ouija board. Now, Ouija boards had, they were invented for pretty harmless intentions, right? To speak to passed on loved ones. However, they didn't realize the ramifications of it would be to open portals. So there was this portal open in the house And it took me a really long time to realize why I got all these attachments and horrible paranormal experiences when my sister, who lived in the same house, was about the same age, you know, kind of the same conditions, did not. I realized it's because I was sick with this illness and my vibration and my energy was so low, I had no guard. And what do these dark entities love to feed on? Dark fearful, hopelessness, isolation, these low vibrational energies and feelings. So my sister was always this happy, lovey, you know, had a huge group of friends. So her vibration was always much higher. So going back to the spirit release therapy, I got sick and more sick. 
and more sick. I couldn't hold down any fluids. I refused to go to the doctor. I was over doctors. And um, my mom and I were in prayer for, I don't know, probably 72 hours, if not more. The timeline is kind of fuzzy. I think all this happened within two or three weeks uh, leading up to it. So we're in prayer. I am being attacked. Um, They are attacking me psychologically, which they had done, you know, for 15 plus years at this point. They just, you know, play mind games. They're giving me nightmares in my waking state. Uh, It's just very horrific. And I'm very tired. I'm very sick. And I'm like, oh, you know what? If I claim power over these guys and say, you can't, you know what? Screwing with my head isn't going to work. I'm, it's not going to do it for me. Then they became physical. So I was physically attacked by these things our third dimensional world doesn't either believe in or doesn't see on a regular basis. And that was when I was like, great, I, I can't do this. So I told my mom I was going to bed because I knew she needed to. I didn't know what I was going to do. I hung up the phone and at around two in the morning of April 17th, I surrendered. I didn't know exactly who God was or what he was. I was raised in a certain religion that didn't really fit my experiences. And, but I called out, I said, I said, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I, and I meant that with my body, my mind, my soul, my heart, my everything. And if you're out there, it's in your hands. I'm done. And instantly I felt this huge relief of these things just ripped away from me, not just my body, but my soul, my everything. And they're just ripped away from me. And I felt for the first time in 16 years, this relief. And then I felt tingling on the palms of my hands and my feet. And I heard this big booming voice. Are you ready? I knew, I, I don't know how to describe it. You know, it wasn't outside, but it wasn't in my head. It was this kind of otherworldly voice. And I realized something answered my prayers. What am I ready for? I don't care. Yes. You know, I'm excited to say yes. And then I felt three hard pounds on my chest or thumps on my chest. And then I was no longer in my body. My heart had stopped and I was in this beautiful, most peaceful, loving, velvety void. I call it a void, but it's not void of anything. It is absolutely everything. And within this space, it's the creator. It's in certain religions, you call him God. In spiritual circles, you'd call him the creator. It's just, it's everything. It's the essence of life. It's where we come from. It's where we go. It is home. So I'm in this place with nothing but love and I wouldn't even say compassion. It's just so much love. There's no reason for compassion because there's no pity or no shame or, you know, nothing that would stem compassion. And I kind of think to myself, am I dead? And three monks just float by and give me a shit eating grin. And they're like to say, if you only knew. And so just kind of curious about that. I ended up in this magnificent tunnel 
it was, I was going through it at supersonic speed, kind of in a horizontal trajectory. I don't really have a body. I'm just kind of, I've got an energy body, but I don't see it. And I have ones and zeros just flying past me at this, gosh, faster than the speed of light. And I know my soul is being downloaded with this code. And I knew, I didn't know what the code was or what the information was. I just knew it was important and profound. And the color blue was so magnificent. I've searched for six and a half years on this earth to find it. And I, I knew I couldn't find it. I know I won't find it, but it was so stunning and magnificent. I would, I'm excited to see it again. Um, I ended up in this white room and I call it a room, but it has no attributes of a room. There's no doors or windows or ceilings or floors, walls. It's just a space. So there, in the space, I feel this great consciousness behind me. In other re religions, you'd call him Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha, Krishna. The, the list goes on. Many religions have a name for this figure. And in front of me, this pile of numbers. And I get so excited and I grab them like a little child and throw them up in the air and say, no wonder you love creating things. Cause I realized everything is created through math and a program. And it was just absolutely joyful. And then I end up in another space and this space is full of other beings. And first to talking about this experience, I was asked, why do I call them beings? Why don't I call them other people? Well, I don't know if they were ever humans before. I don't know what their story was. I don't know where they came from. I don't know where they're going. I just know we're in this place together. And we moved together and we worked together. And you had a thought or a question, and it would magically be answered. I, you know, we say it magically because, you know, here it would be magic. But over there, it was just the way it was. Um, I saw these beings sliding down snow-covered trees and thought it looked like so much fun, but I don't think I like snow. Instantly, the trees turned to this lush green, and I'm sliding down them, and I realized, oh my gosh, if they change to green trees because that's what I wanted, and I'm sliding down them, and I'm seeing other beings, what if they're experiencing snow on their trees, even though I see green? Like, what if we're living these same experiences at the same time, but differently. And it was this kind of crazy phenomenon. It was the time or the, the space I spent the most time in, which also doesn't make sense because there is no time. But um, for some place having no time, I'd say the majority of my experience was in this, this area. And I, it was just about learning and exploring. I was just filled with curiosity and joy and wonder. It was like I was an infant again. Um, I tried to learn how to fly and I was terrible at it. I ended up severing my arm and I watched it grow back with ones and zeros. There was no pain. It was just like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> and then we, we danced together, like we'd choreographed this thing for millennia and no one, no one spoke, but everyone understood. There was a time I was a snowman. I know, ironic for just saying I didn't like snow. And there was this flame, there was this craft or machine that these other beings were working on. I'm like, oh, I wonder if, what happens if I get too close? Will I melt? 
Well, your thoughts become in reality in an instant. So of course, instantly I was there and I melted. And then I'm just this puddle of eyes. And I wonder, I wonder if these other beings will put me back together. And just like that, I was put together. And it was just the absolute epitome of oneness. It was absolute oneness. You know, just, you don't even, telepathy doesn't even make sense because no words were even thought or spoken. It was any thought I had was an instant reality. And everyone just communed together beautifully. I spoke with a old man, once again, very odd because there's no time, but he had this long beard and he was kind of hunched over in this, I would call it what looks like a greenhouse because that's the closest thing we have to that here that I've seen. And to this day, I still don't know what we talked about, but I know it was deep and I know it was important and I know it will come to me one day. Then after that, the beans started passing through this land bridge. So here you can see through barbed wire, right? You can see what's on the other side. You can see if there's horses or a pasture or houses or a farm. In this area, I, I couldn't see beyond. It was really fuzzy. And these beans were going through an opening and I knew I couldn't go. I was never told or asked if I could or wanted to go. I just knew I couldn't. So the last part of this space was with seven very powerful supreme beings is all I can describe them as. I just, I've never saw them. They're all behind me. There were seven of them. And I just knew their presence was so powerful. And there was this scroll that unrolled in front of me with beautiful golden script. And my ego is reading this or my, my soul is reading this and my ego decides to come back. It says, ha, you're showing this to a human. Instantly, the scroll snaps up, and I am snapped back into my body. Now, the after effect of being snapped back into my body, first off, it's one thing to feel your heart stop. It is a very weird thing to feel it start again. And I knew I had been somewhere. I didn't know where. I knew I wasn't attached to my body. And I was not happy to be back. And so I tried so hard to get back into whatever wonderful place this was. I slowed my breathing. I tried just wishing really hard. Um, I just, I wanted to go back so bad. And when I knew that wasn't going to happen, I still hadn't opened my eyes because I was terrified that I had died and it'd been so long. My family disregarded my wishes to be cremated and I was going to open my eyes to a coffin underground and have to figure out how to dig my way out or die in the, in the coffin, suffocate. Uh, it was absolutely terrifying. And I was so convinced it had been at least three weeks, if not a couple months that I'd been gone. So after I woke up, I had divulged to my mom, especially after she'd been praying with me and all this stuff. Um, another interesting thing that had happened was uh, my dad being a devout Christian said that God never talks to him. You know, he spends, you know, his mornings praying and God never talks to him. Well, God talked to him that day, um, that night and said, I was under attack. I was under demonic attack. And I think that scared the bejesus out of him because, you know, for God to never say anything to you and then to tell you that your daughter is under demonic attack. 
um, you know, what do you do? What do you do with that? And as a father, you know, how do you protect her? But my mom had unbeknownst to me researched near death experiences and other phenomenon because of my paranormal and metaphysical experiences growing up. Also, my great grandmother had three near death experiences, but back then it was really taboo to talk about. So she didn't really say much. Anyways, my mom helped me um, try to understand what, what happened, what was going on. She got me involved with ions right away, which was helpful, but come back full circle in ions. You hear these uh, beautiful, magnificent, awe inspiring stories of near death experiences. And, you know, they happened with sick, like crazy operating table mishaps or, you know, car accidents or kayaking accidents. Uh, for those who don't know, IONS is the International Association for Near-Death Studies, and they have been super instrumental to my healing in this process. Um, something also that is very fascinating that really helped solidify what had happened to me was something I couldn't come up with had I been a artist and a dreamer for 200 decades, you know, 200 decades. Um, yeah, that's like 2000 years. I was renamed a number. So I came back and I realized my name was changed. It was no longer Brianna. And I guess there are stories in the Bible. Um, I vaguely remember them of God renaming certain people when big events happened. So I was renamed 1048. And my mom, who loves the study of anything and everything, had been studying Gematria, the numerology and numbers of the Bible. And she's like, you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to look up what that says. And so 1048 somehow in Gematria gets to 2 Samuel 2218. And the verse is, he delivered me from my strong enemy and from them that hated me for they were too strong for me. Oh, I have goosebumps. Does that not freak you out? <laughs> oh my we goodness. Just all, we, we, like my mom, my sister and I just broke down. Like how, how in the world, if that didn't actually happen, how do you come up with a demonic attack, being killed, being renamed 1048, 1048 in Gematria leads you to this verse and this verse perfectly out of what the thousands, if not millions of verses in the Bible, this verse perfectly explains what happened. Yeah. You, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, that was the first thing that was a clue that it was real. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, well, how do you know? And how do you know it's not a hallucination? And how do you know it's not a dream? And da da da. other than the fact I forget my dreams the second I wake up, and this is six and a half years later, and I remember every part of it crystal clearly. Uh, the crazy stuff that happened after this thing that there's no way it's a coincidence. You can't go from all these different steps and lead to this one verse in the Bible that is perfect. Um, so that was instrumental at the beginning. And I still, uh, my first book that I wrote has uh, my pen name as Brianna Lafferty, 1048. And people are like, well, what does that mean? I'm like, it's in the book. It'll tell you. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's been a crazy ride. But I think it's also been very important for me to share this dark side. The reason 
I didn't want to share is because, you know, in my church demons, if you were a believer and you're saved, they couldn't hurt you. They couldn't touch you. And yet here I was being horrifically attacked psychologically, physically at one point, and it killed me. And it's, you know, just because our church said it, it didn't happen. And there's such this taboo that you've got to be a bad person or some horrific karma. And I could tell you, I, I have really haven't done too many bad things in my life. I've, you know, I was raised in a great home with great morals, great ethics, great values. So I took that to heart and I really haven't, you know, I, I haven't done the things that would elicit me deserving this kind of awful attachments. So it was, it's been scary to talk about. I've only been open about exactly what happened in these dark entities for about a year. Luckily now IONS is pursuing and growing their distressing near death experience group for people who actually go to hell in their uh, near death experiences. You know, I, I didn't, thankfully I was, I don't, I don't know if my psyche could have handled a demonic attack and then hell. Luckily, I had a demonic attack and I was positive if I survived it, I'd have to be locked up because these things were so horrific and the image was so horrific. That was another thing I was healed from when I came back from my near-death experience was I was given the gift of blurry. So I don't remember exactly what they look like. But diving into, you know, why these things exist, there's a lot of different theories. You know, there's the theories and religions that have two sources, you know, the source of the the one I met, that nothing evil or negative could stem from it. You know, in Christianity, it's the God created angels and some fell, but the God I met, no, nothing would fall from it. Why would you fall from something? Why would you want to turn and overpower something if you have no ego? Um, So there's the two source kind of theory. And there's some old religions that believe that there's also. I'm sorry. I'm a little confused on what you mean by the two sources in, um, in a sense that whatever is causing the negative frequencies or the negative entities is ultimately a source in itself. It's from a different source. So a lot of our soul, our human souls come from this source where we reignite with the love and the light. And even people who go to hell can rejoin, you know, this light source. Yeah. yeah we've definitely seen that many times uh, looking at the hellish NDE experiences. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my experience and um, just some really old, I don't know any current religions that have this belief. And I forgot the, the names of the old religions, I apologize, but two sources. So the source of love and light and this God of love and light and the crystal throne and the, the marble healing, you know, you know, the ones that we're very familiar with, uh, thanks to all the research to near death experiences. And then this one of fear and hate and negativity. So our human life and our human condition is balance between the good and the bad, the right and the wrong, you know, all this stuff, or a lot of religions and cultures believe it comes from one place. And we just get to come here and, you know, sort it out um, where I'm kind of of the belief and especially with my experiences that there is a whole nother source that creates these awful 
negative, we call them awful, you know, they don't know any better because that's what they're created in. So the creator, the God of love and light and everything, and then a God or creator of hate and fear. That Um, is very interesting. I have actually watched a near-death experience story about somebody who is saying that the people who do just atrocities, those people are still walking in divine purpose because of the necessity that there is for this balance between good and evil, which I Mm -hmm. thought was really interesting because you would think that there's no divine purpose in somebody's life. Like you can't be purpose-driven and then just be this horrible, malicious person. And Mm. it it brought in the idea that Mm -hmm. maybe that is their purpose is to create that um, polarity in our experience. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think, you know, earth is definitely where we come to learn those lessons and we need that polarity. And, you know, whether it does come from one source that just happens to create both or it comes from these two sources and earth is that middle ground. Um, Very well could be. Either, either way, you know, we still need Mm -hmm. to interact to have that polarity and that learning and that those experiences. I find all of these theories pretty interesting. I I do take a skeptic standpoint and I wouldn't say that I attach to any of them. However, I do think that it's important to keep an open mind regarding these things because these are, these are things beyond our capacity to fully understand and try to teach really, you know? Um, So I I like the way that you're, you're presenting it as these are theories. And I think it's important. It's important to look at the possibilities here. The concept that I most interested in getting to the, the root of is in the world of spirituality, people often are presenting this idea that everything is all love and light. You know, everything that happens within your life here, like it, it almost doesn't matter. Like you go into this land of love and light after you leave this body and that's it. And I think that that's actually a misconception because I have seen enough near-death experience testimonies to know that there are a small percentage of people who have a near-death experience that end up having a hellish experience. It's a small percentage. However, there are enough of them to recognize that this is not something that we can ignore. This This is something that is happening. And if you look at this from the lens of everything is love and light, it conflicts with that reality because it's presenting different data. We are looking at the fact that there are lower vibrational places on the other side and there are lower vibrational entities. What did that look like in your experience? You know, you as a child were sort of haunted by some lower vibrational entities. And I think that's something that we really need to look at and recognize as a society that this is, this is happening. Yeah, absolutely. It is, it's happening. And also the statistics are severely underreported because of the, they only can guess right now. I believe one in 10 near death experiences is reported. And out of that only 25% of near like distressing ones are reported. So, you know, you go from only 10% of 
all near-death experiences. And then 25% of those 10% is severely, severely underreported about these distressing experiences. I think it's a lot because, you know, culture and society and religions tell us if you're just a good person, it won't happen to you. If you're just a good person or you just live in love and light or you just ignore it, you know, they don't exist. In reality, they're they're very present and they feed on the low vibrations. And so, you know, the higher, you know, a lot of religion of religious people tend to try to have higher vibrations living with God and, you know, other, other spiritual beliefs. Um, however, you know, chronic illness, which we're seeing more and more of as our, each generation goes on, you know, the more chronic illness, the more fatigue, the more hate, and, you know, our world is becoming smaller through technology. And so we're more aware of these genocides and these wars and these illnesses. So our, that lowers our vibration, you know, either being in fear or anger or sadness, you know, for the state of the world. And that that's what they love. You know, they, they love to feed and attach to that. And, you know, beyond this realm, they exist there too. You, like when I said I involuntarily astro traveled and met these dark entities in the in-between, um, you know, it's very real. And I think I love what you're doing because, you know, if we all have this misconception that, Oh, it's just love and light all the time here in the in between in the afterlife. You know how do how are we going to protect ourselves? You know, I, as a child, my mom and I and you know my family, we didn't know how to protect me. We didn't know what was going on because our church and our society blatantly said it doesn't exist. So because they pretended it didn't exist, we had absolutely no way to fight it, no way to protect ourselves no way to move beyond it, you know? So I absolutely love that you're bringing awareness to this. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely needs to be, needs to be talked about. Well, I could throw in an interesting fact. Do it. So night vision goggles. Do you know about that? Um, okay. So all I've, all I dead? know about it is that there was in the beginning of the development of this uh, technology, they, I think maybe was it like pilots or something? Fighter pilots, yep. Maybe you're the one who told me this story. I'll let you. <laughs> I'll have. let you take over. <laughs> All right. Um. So early on in the early development of night vision goggles, fighter pilots in the military were given infrared goggles, and as they are flying around and using their night vision goggles, they are seeing these horrific entities just in the air. And, you know, going past them and flying past them. And it scared them so bad that they had to change to green. So they stopped seeing these entities. Um, I, I believe Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about why you can see them in infrared and what frequency that is and what vibrations these dark entities vibrate at that makes it so you can see them in infrared, but not with the green night vision goggles. You know, okay, after I heard you tell me this story the first time in my bedroom uh it's really healthy if you're gonna have any light before you go to sleep to have a red light in order to like help with your uh the way that your brain and body wants to shut down to go to sleep and so now often I am hanging out in my bedroom and it's just the red light bulb and everything in my room is red including me everything's red and I'm just like ooh. 
I mean, I don't know if this is infrared, but it is red light. And I often think that I'm going to just like see some crazy stuff. (laughs) Right. Well, and you know, it is interesting how red is most commonly the theme in horror movies. True. Yeah. So if you start seeing stuff, maybe uh, switch to green. Green. (laughs) Low green light bulb. (laughs) So in my life, I have experienced a good amount of spiritual warfare. I have had friends that were going down very, very toxic paths. And I actually remember this one friend in particular. He he was drinking a lot and he also was uh, using drugs and he he overdosed one night. And it was wild because I was completely all the way across the city and I was standing in my friend's basement and just all of a sudden this energy came over me and I just collapsed on the floor. And I was just like, I was like breathing heavy and I was just like, uh, I have to write a letter to my friend. And I had no idea that he had just overdosed. I had absolutely no idea why I needed to write a letter to him, but I was like, I was moved to the Bible and I was like going through it and studying. And I came up with like a three page or something letter that I actually still have it. This was like, gosh, man, it was like 10 years ago, but I got in contact with him and me and my mom actually drug him up to a mountainside where there was a nice view and we just kind of sat down and I was like, this is for you, I guess. And he smelled so bad. (laughs) He smelled so bad. And, and it was wild. Like it was an alcohol smell, but like it was worse. It was like a, it was almost like a rotting smell too. And it was, it was crazy because after I presented him with this information and we talked about everything, we prayed, like that smell was gone. I mean, maybe there's still like some light smell of alcohol, but not nearly as bad as it was. And my mom and I both recognized this transition. This, ex- this experience was shared between me and her. And after, after he left, we dropped him off at home. She told me that recently she had heard that, Um, from like a pastor or somebody who had written a book um, that demons have a smell. They do. And it's rotting. Yeah. Yeah. And she told me that the smell that he had when he got there versus the smell that he had when he left was so distinct that that to her validated that demons in fact absolutely do. And we have a personal experience to, to share regarding that. And that was the first time I had ever heard of it. And then it was shortly after that, that he contacted me and said, Hey, look, um, this has made such an impact on me and I want you to know why. And he told me about his, uh, the day that he overdosed and everything that led up to it. And I, we were able to pinpoint, I was like, that is the exact moment that I collapsed on the, on the floor in my best, in my friend's basement was the moment he, he died. That, that gives me goosebumps. I know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, and throughout, 
throughout that process of when I was like writing the letter, I was actually living with a friend of mine and he was kind of exposed to this whole story and this journey. And he, he indirectly, I didn't even intend for it to happen, but he indirectly came and found God as well. So <laughs> it was, it was a beautiful experience that I, I'm, I'm so grateful to have had, but it also validates to me that demons are here and they are real and and we must we must acknowledge that and we must operate in a way as a society that doesn't ostracize people who have paranormal or demonic experiences in church especially in church because that is where you go that is what your only frame of reference for spirituality you know for a lot of people and to be rejected because of something that is very obvious, like um, it's it's in the Bible that this is a phenomenon, that this happens. That's the crazy part. It's in the Bible that they teach it and it's like that they ignore it. It's like, how do you ignore part of your your gospel? You know, how do you, you ignore a part of your truth? It's, exactly. It's mind blowing. I think I struggled. My mom struggled with it. That was one of the things she, you know, said, Hey, you know, like, what about this? And they're like, no, <laughs> it's a societal issue. It's not just like one church or this church or whatever. It's like, there's, there's Christianity according to the Bible. And then there is societal Christianity, which is, <clears throat> They're two different no, I things. Get it. <laughs> so I don't, yeah, I, totally I definitely don't want to say that nobody is practicing the proper approach to Christianity. Um, however, I'm going to say that the mass majority are not. Um, so what I really want to do here with this podcast episode specifically is to raise awareness that these things are happening and to challenge people not to shy away from the reality and not to reject people who have had these experiences and recognize that we need an approach to this as a society. We need a frame of reference so that we can help people. I am so excited to be a part of this with you. I mean, I, I absolutely think awareness is huge and you can't, you can't be protected if you don't think it exists or you, you poo poo it. So um, I am so appreciative to be a part of this with you I really hope this raises awareness, gets people thinking beyond the, you know, we're, we're often stuck in boxes. I hope this gets people out of those boxes and, you know, starts to come up with a, a beautiful plan and that we can live in love and light and, you know, have a good way to fight back or protect ourselves. I think that what really ultimately determines whether somebody is going to have a positive or negative experience after they leave this earth plane into the other side is simply the frequencies in which they are dominantly aligned with. So if somebody spends their entire life or even just maybe the last prominent section of their life before they go living consistently in lower vibrational states that when they leave their body, they're going to enter into a vibrational place that is in alignment with the energy that they're used to carrying. And I think that that's ultimately what is 
presenting these hellish NDE experiences. And what I also think is interesting is that many of these negative near-death experiences are from people who lived very religious lifestyles. And I can say personally, I I grew up in a Christian household. Um, I was a Christian my whole life. And I mean, I still kind of, I still kind of identify with the title of Christian, but um, it's definitely different now. Uh, Earlier in my twenties, I, I entered an awful shame cycle that lasted for years. And it was ultimately due to the fact that I was living in sin. And, and I, I feel like the consequences for the acts themselves were absolutely nowhere near the, the magnitude of the shame that I was feeling. Yeah. Because, uh, because of what your church, you know, what you're raised in and your church says you're going to hell because you're living in sin. However, you know, the magnitude of actually living the way you were living doesn't equate to hell. And so you're shaming yourself. Right. Absolutely. That's exactly, (laughs) that's exactly what I was trying to say. And, and that shame cycle, I believe that if I would have had a near death experience while I was living in that shame cycle, I absolutely would have had a hellish one as well. Um, but now that I have broken free of that and, um, I look at things not necessarily as much as right or wrong, but as consequences, you know, there are consequences for our actions. And after, after being released from that, that shame, I, and now I think, okay, well, what are the consequences for this? And I, can I live with those consequences versus like, how is this going to damn my soul to hell? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's well, a completely different approach. <laughs> so when I came back from my NDE experience, I went on a quest to find out what religion explained what I experienced. And I realized, well, none of them did. Um, all of them did at the same time. Um, but what I really found was when I looked into these religions and what I found was they, a lot of the scripture gives you ways to live, to protect yourself. The church, however, churches and, you know, the, the masses who be and the, you know, people who want the power and the control, they, they're the ones who change it and flip it to, if you do this, you're going to hell. If you do this, you're, you're damned forever. If you don't do this, you're damned forever. Or if you look at it at a much simpler context, which is, this is complete oversimplification, but I, I saw themes, um, you know, in certain religions, you're not supposed to eat pork, but you think about it, it's because the pork is, pigs are such a dirty animal. They're riddled with disease and they'll eat anything. Um, you know, not having intercourse before marriage, that, that has so many reasons. Um, especially in the old times, the mortality rate for giving birth was extreme. You know, um, sci- uh, sexually transmitted diseases are a thing. Um, and then, of course, protecting your heart. You and know, your energy body. You, you know, you get, and your energy body. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you look at it in a very simple form, these scriptures are just giving you ways to live that protect you, protect your body, protect your spirit, protect your heart. Not necessarily you do this, you're going to hell because you're an awful person. Protecting you. Protecting you from the consequences. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's protecting you from the consequences, not protecting you from hell. You know, exactly. a lot of, you know, it gets twist and turned into, and then you get in that shame cycle and I've been there plenty of times, especially, you know, with people telling me, well, if you're experiencing this, then your heart is bad, you know, and that was very detrimental. And I still experience that sometimes like, well, if you don't believe this, then you've got a bad heart, you know, like you don't believe in God. I'm like, I met God. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> the constant battle as humans face between the good and the bad, the right and the wrong, and then trying to navigate between religion and culture and just our own everyday emotions and feelings and everything. It's, it's hard. It is. Brianna, thank you so much for being here and taking time out of your day to spend it with me. And I truly hope that, you know, working together with people who have have had experiences like yours and other people who had negative near-death experiences, that that we can change this narrative that that there's only love and light. And we need to be a little bit more mindful and and open-minded about what is really out there and the struggles that people really, really, that are very real to people because there is demonic influence. There is spiritual warfare. And if you try to say that none of that exists, then the people who are deeply, deeply tormented by these things think that it's coming from themselves, think that it's because of something that is wrong with them. Or like you said, uh, there's a problem with their heart. There's just too much evidence that shows that when somebody finds freedom and liberation from a demon, that they often completely turn into a different person because they are free to step into the person that God or source has designed them to actually be. We are not designed to live in torment. We are not designed to live in lower vibrational states or to have narratives that are so toxic to ourselves and others around us. And I think that learning to embody love and those higher vibrations and to break away these things that are are attached to us or weighing us down, um, these demonic influences, is really our route to freedom, our route out of those those depths, those dark spaces that even you know present people with these hellish near-death experiences. Well, thank you so much for having me along on this journey. I really appreciate it. I hope that you have an excellent day and you, you know, continue to spread the awareness and live in in the higher vibrations of love and light. Thank right. you. You too. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you loved this episode, please consider leaving a review and don't forget to share the link with somebody who can appreciate this message. Blessings to you all, and I hope to catch you on my next episode.